Linda. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, if you will, open your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, last Sunday, we studied 1 John chapter 2. We began in verse 28 and ended with the third verse of chapter 3. And it was about the return of Christ. That's what we studied last week. And uh, there's a difference between when Jesus comes back for us, the church, and the second coming. They're two different events with two very different objectives. And I put the flyer in the bulletin to just kind of give you some examples. But when Jesus comes back for us, we meet Him in the air. But when Jesus comes back to the earth, when He physically returns to the earth, that's the second coming. And when He comes back, He's coming back to uh, He's coming back to uh, you know when Jesus comes back for us, He's coming for the church. But when He comes back in the second coming, you guys, He's He's coming back to rescue believing Israel and all of the living saints. And in the second coming, He's going to judge the nations. And there's going to be a war. And at the end of the war, there's this judgment of the nations. And then He establishes His kingdom here on earth. So they are very different. I put in the flyer some examples of the differences between when Jesus returns for the church and when Jesus returns to the earth physically. And I encourage you to look at those because you can see that they have different objectives. The, the perspective is different. The, the desires, what's, what He's coming to do and accomplish. So in John chapter 3, at the very beginning of the chapter, and actually the first couple of verses at the end of chapter 2, John's talking about when Jesus returns. And in the, in the letter of 1 John, when it talks about Jesus returning, it's talking about the time when He comes back for Christians, when He's coming back for the church. And also, when John's talking about this, he's not preoccupied with us understanding chronologies and, and all kinds of things like that that are in other places in Scripture. In 1 John, he is focusing on what happens to us personally as individuals when Jesus returns. What's going to happen when we actually see Him? And it tells us here that we're going to be changed. We're going to... Uh, be pure. And so this new nature that we have inside of us that we hardly ever see uh, is going to be all that's left. It will be the first time when your soul and your spirit and your body will be without sin, without a sin nature. That's what's going to happen when Jesus returns for the church when we see Him. That's why it says here in the Bible, um, verse 28, when He appears, we may have boldness instead of being ashamed. 
Look at verse 2, chapter 3. Dear friends, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. Because we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And so last Sunday, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the return of Christ. And we want to remember that this is when He returns for the body of Christ. And that we are going to meet Him in the air. And the passage that you can look at is in 1 Corinthians 15 or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. talks about these things in more detail. In our passage this morning, uh, John turns to the subject of sin. And uh, before we read it, I want to warn us that this passage is, is kind of tough. The language is tough. And it's kind of like when you watch a show on TV or something and they give you the warnings, you know, you know, warning and uh, violence, brief nudity, strong language, you know, it's kind of like that. Uh, we're going to be reading some very strong language. And so this is our passage this morning, and let's read it together. It begins in verse 4. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is breaking of law. You know that He was revealed so that He might take away sins, and there is no sin in Him. Everyone who remains in Him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Because his seed remains in him, he is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. So these are very strong words that raise some very serious questions. Language that should make us uncomfortable. I hope that there was something in there that made you uncomfortable. In verse 5, we're told that Jesus is sinless. That's actually very good. That's good news for us. But it does put us in our place. And then in, chapter, in verse 6, he goes on to say that uh, we can't remain in Him if we sin. It says, everyone who remains in Him does not sin. Well, that kind of sounds like what we've been studying. Um, in verse John, verse Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, If we say we have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we're lying. And we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And so what he's talking about here so far is he's saying that uh, His fellowship is broken when we sin. Remaining in Him in 1 John has everything to do with fellowship. We talked about how when Paul says to be in Christ, that's talking about salvation. But when John says to remain in Him, abide in me, abide in Him, it's talking about fellowship. And so it's logical that if we sin, we're no longer in fellowship with God. It breaks it. 
But then, look at the rest of verse 6. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Well, that's not very good because I sin. Hmm. Well, let's see if John clears that up a little bit. In verse 8, he says, the one who commits sin is of the devil. Well, that's not helping much either because I sin. And then in verse 9, it says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. These are very strong words. It looks like John is saying that Christians don't sin. Or another way of saying it is if a person sins, they're not a Christian. Well, we already know from studying this epistle that that's not true. We already know from 1 John itself, not even having to go anywhere else in the Bible or anywhere else in this letter, just from what we've studied in 1 John already, we know that Christians do sin. And the remedy for that is confession. We do not lose our salvation when we sin, we lose fellowship. So just keep your place where you're at and look at chapter 1. I've got uh, part, of, part of the passage up there. But in chapter 1 of 1 John, beginning in verse 8, these, these words should, should be memorized. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we do sin. And if you say you don't, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. Verse 9, should, everyone should have memorized. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you might not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is a propitiation for our sins, but not just ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Notice what verse 10 is telling us. It says that even when we admit that we have sin, his word is still in us. So we don't lose our salvation. And that verse only applies to the redeemed. It's not talking about lost people. Lost people can't say this. So there's a great deal here that shows us that Christians do sin, but the remedy is not getting lost and then have to get saved again. The remedy is confession. Because our objective is to remain in fellowship with God. Remember what Jesus said, He who has taken a bath means only to wash his feet. So when you're walking to you get your feet dirty, you've got to wash your feet. You've got to get confessed. Confess and repent and turn to Christ. And so when we look at this passage in 1 John chapter 3, even though the language is very difficult, we already know for a fact that Christians do in fact sin and they don't lose their salvation because they sin. They just need to repent and confess and be in agreement about these things with God. So let's walk through the passage together, beginning in verse 4. Now, it tells us that sin and breaking the law are the same thing. 
So it's not talking about the Old Testament law, it's talking about God's moral law, His perfect standard that we all break. This is what He's talking about. And uh, we don't know the exact circumstances in the first century, but we know that He's talking a lot about these false teachers, and so maybe the false teachers were minimizing sin in some way. Uh, They certainly do. In today's society, in our culture, we all know people who are doing things wrong, or are saying that something that is wrong is right, and then still at the same time telling you that they are in good standing with God. When someone gets out of prison on parole, now they call it post-release control. So the most important thing in this passage so far is that we recognize that sin is very serious and it puts our fellowship with God in in immediate jeopardy. So as soon as you sin, you've broken God's moral standards. You've violated the rules. You've violated the, 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 the personality of God. You know, how He thinks about things what he is, his wisdom and how we should live and why. And we just, we're totally walking away from that when we do something that's wrong. In verse 5, it says that uh, Jesus has been revealed or manifested to us. And so here, for the first time in this letter, uh, he straight out tells us the purpose for the incarnation. The purpose is that he came to take away sins. So uh, when we talk about something being revealed or manifested, that's not talking about something that originates there. It's more the idea of something pre-existing and then we become aware of its existence. So this is the concept of the, the pre-existent eternal person of Jesus Christ who appeared to us. The New American Standard says appeared instead of revealed or manifested. Uh, maybe your translation uses the word appeared. But again... John uses the same words over and over again, but with different meanings. And so you have to look at them carefully. And so when John in chapter 3, verse 2, talks about when he appears, he's talking about the return of Christ for the church. Here in verse 5, he's talking about when he uh, appears, it's the incarnation. Two different things, same word. But the idea here is that Jesus appeared. And his incarnation has came to take away our sins. That's the reason he's here. So uh, then it goes on to tell us that Jesus, there's no sin in Jesus. And uh, that means that it's just kind of logical that if Jesus is without sin, if we're to be in fellowship with him, we can't be sinning. And so right off the bat, you see that the, the effect that our sin has upon our fellowship with him. And then right in the middle of verse 6, things kind of change. Because John begins to contrast our loss of fellowship with someone being lost. What a difference there is. So if you're a believer, you probably don't realize how good you got it. And I tried to talk about that last week. I mean, if if the world is passing away, the lust thereof, and when we see him, we're going to be changed and... We, we're not even, right now, we're not even what we're going to be, you know. Things are going to be so different. 
It's really hard to imagine that, but I was trying to give us examples of, you know, things that would, where you're just in awe, like seeing that spaceship in Close Encounters, or the, the guy seeing a dinosaur on Jurassic Park, you know. How about when the little kids, when the door opens for Willy Wonka opens the door, all those kids see that beautiful room with all that candy and that chocolate river. You know, if we could just appreciate who we are in Christ and what's going to happen in the future. And so uh, this is the contrast between someone who uh, is in fellowship and loses it and someone who has never been in fellowship with God. They're lost. Look what he says. He says, everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. That's talking about a lost person. And then in verses 7 and 8, he makes another contrast, a contrast between a righteous life and a sinful life. Two different kinds of lifestyles. And for the first time, he introduces the devil. And he says in, in verse 7, that, or uh, verse 8, he says that uh, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. Well, how many times has John talked about in the beginning, the beginning, the beginning, over and over again in this letter? Well, here, he's not talking about the incarnation. He's not talking about when you got saved. Here, he's talking about when the devil sinned. He's been sinning from the beginning. That's what it means there. And so, when we sin, we are following in his footsteps. And... Initially, in verse 5, it told us the purpose of the incarnation. He was revealed so that he might take away sins. And then here it's stated with another uh, detail. He came to destroy the devil's works. And uh, as Christians, you know, we, we sin and we confess and we repent and we sin and we confess. We're just, we're just like, a, it's like a revolving door. You know, we're, we're ridiculous people. We are. We're just ridiculous. We just constantly sin. And if you have any desire to remain in fellowship, then you're constantly coming back to God, asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over again. You know, uh, and so Christians, we, what we do is we, there's the righteous life and the sinful life. And, you know, sometimes we just find ourselves thinking mentally that we're living right here in the in-between. Sometimes I'm doing what? Sometimes this. Sometimes I'm doing this. But God wants us to see here that He's not in the middle at all. He's very different from us. And so as we come to verse 9, verse 9 kind of pulls all of these things together at once. It's a very important verse. Um, again, we already know that, um, that even though we were born again, we still sin. So everyone who has been born of God does not sin. When it says that, he has to be talking about something else. What is John talking about? If I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and I have, then I've been born again. And I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and I desire to remain in fellowship with Him. So what is he saying? Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. He's talking about what we got from Jesus. He's talking about, he's not talking about our daily failures as sinners. He's talking about something that, that doesn't sin. What is there about you as a Christian that actually doesn't sin? Nothing. 
What is that? It's your new nature. It's the new man, the new creation. It's that part of you that is that God has done that's new. Um, the new nature doesn't sin. That's the one thing about you that doesn't. You're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit might indwell you, but you're not the Holy Spirit. Neither am I, obviously. We're not God. We don't get to be part of God now. We're not God. We're not the Holy Spirit. So what part of it is in us that doesn't sin? It's that new nature, that new man. It's that new person that we're going to be. Well, we already have the new nature, but there's the old nature still, so we fight it all the time. There's this battle. But what we're talking about is someday when Jesus returns, we're not going to have the old nature anymore. We're not going to have a, a body that's fallen apart and sinful. We're going to be completely clean. And so he's talking about this net nature that man has that is new. Look what he says, because his seed remains in him. Everyone who has been born of God doesn't sin. Because his seed, his new nature remains in him. He's not, it's not able to sin. Why? Because he's been born of God. Here's a couple of verses. There's a bunch of them, but here's a couple of verses. You guys all know that one. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's talking about that new man, that new creation. There's something new that happened when you got saved. Remember, there's a, a long line with two dots. At the, at the first dot, that's when you were born. And at the last dot, that's when you're going to die. And everything in here is your life. But somewhere on that line, there's got to be another black dot when you were born again, born a second time, when you were born into the family of God, when you were redeemed, regenerated. It has to have happened. And this is what happens. We get this new nature. And here's another verse. This is in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul's talking about the new man and a very in-depth doctrinal letter. He tells us to put on the new self, that new nature that's created after the likeness of God and His righteousness and in His holiness. It's a very clean, uh, perfect, sinless nature. God didn't just clean us up. He didn't just like clean up our old nature. He actually... Uh, did something entirely new. And let's put all of this into context. Um, let's just review what we've studied so far in this letter that brings us up to this place. This letter opens up with a prologue. The first four verses of the letter talks about in the beginning. And the Advent today is about faith. And John asks us to remember what we believed in the beginning. To remember what was declared to us in the beginning that we received. And then he moves through the four key components that we find in fellowship with God. Confession of sin and obedience. So you're walking in the light, you sin, you ask God to forgive you, and you return to His fellowship. And then the last two are godliness and doctrine, but they're presented as warnings. You know, we're supposed to avoid worldliness. In other words, avoid the, the natural desire we have to be happy 
and to satisfy that desire without God in our life. That's the world. That's what it means. You know, it doesn't have to be something really super evil. It's just really when you desire happiness, but you decide to fulfill it without God. And so he wants us to avoid that. Godliness means seeking his face and finding happiness and serving him and living the right way because it's the best way. And then finally, doctrine, because you have to protect it. It has to be preserved. And if the doctrine is bad, it doesn't do you much good to be godly and obedient to something that's wrong. And so you have to have all four of these key components to remain in fellowship with God. And then the letter turns to, to the return of Christ, which we studied last week. And so after all four of those have been fleshed out, it's kind of like a, a, a climaxing crescendo with the return of Christ and uh, he, he, uh, he talks about how we're not, not going to be like this forever. This battle we have with the worldliness, this battle we have with, with false teachers and people challenging us and talking bad about God and all this kind of stuff that's the Christian life, Christian walk. It's not always going to be like this. He's going to return. And we're not always going to be like we are now. We're going to be changed. We're going to have a new nature that's free from sin. And so as he comes back down off that crescendo, he begins to talk about sin. But he's actually talking about the new nature while he's talking about sin. It's the same conversation in this passage we're studying. And this will introduce the next portion of the letter. And so if you just kind of understand how he set that up with that crescendo, the return of Christ, and now we're returning to remaining in fellowship with God and he starts talking to us first about our nature because he's already been talking about how we are not who, we're, we're not exactly what we're going to be. If, um, I don't know if I'm going to have hair in heaven, but, you know, I might have hair, you know. I don't know. When he talks about sin, he talks about it on two different levels in this passage we've been studying. The first level is just our daily walk and, and how we struggle to live, to live the right way. And so it is a contrast in lifestyles. There's the sinful lifestyle and then there's the righteous lifestyle. And if someone says that they have faith in Christ, their lifestyle should back it up. Your lifestyle is kind of like evidence. It actually says that here in verse 10, I believe. It's, uh, it actually says, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. So it's evidence. Now it's not conclusive evidence. If we were in court, you'd call it direct evidence. That's the kind of evidence that proves something without question. So the smoking gun, you introduce some kind of evidence that just, okay. There's no more question about who did this or what happened. We know exactly what happened now because of this kind of evidence. It's very obviously very strong evidence. So your lifestyle is not that kind of evidence. It's not conclusive because we all know that lost people can live pretty good lives. But it is an evidence. But John's point here is to not lower that kind of a boom. Instead, he leaves the burden of proof upon the person who says they have faith in Christ. If you do, does your life reflect it? That's the first layer of what he's talking about. But the second layer has to do 
with the new nature. And uh, the new nature is, is constant. It, it never changes. It doesn't sin. It's everlasting. It's secure. And uh, it's not the nature that comes out of us all the time. I think most of us might agree that the old nature comes out most of the time. But Paul talked in, in Romans chapter 7, Paul talked about how he wrestled with uh, sin in his life and how he, he wished he didn't do things that he does and wished that he did the things that he wanted to do. And he talked about this inner struggle inside of him. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? In verse 5, he said, I don't even understand what I'm doing. Romans chapter 7, verse 5, he said, I don't even understand what I'm doing. He said, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And by the end of the conversation he's having with himself and us in Romans chapter 7, at the end of this, towards verse 22, he starts talking about how he has this desire to live right and to do what's right. He has a desire to be in fellowship with God even though he sins. And you know how he describes that? The new nature. He said, there's something inside of me that wasn't there before. He calls it the inner being. He says, my inner being, in verse 22, he says, my inner being is in agreement with God. Even though what I'm doing, I know is wrong. I do the things that I don't want to do I do the things I hate, a wretched man that I am. And so John is encouraging us because he's telling us that, you know, he's saying, we're not who we're going to be. There's a bright future ahead for us. It's, it's incredible. We don't even realize how great it is. It's going to be so good. We don't even realize. And he's saying here that remember who you are even though you may not succeed in walking right all of the time, God wants us to remember that we have been redeemed, we've been bought with a price, that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that's the guarantee of our salvation, and that we really are children of God. We are heirs, we have inheritance of eternal life, and so our future is secure. And who we're going to be, this... This, if you could just tear off that Superman, the thing, you know, if you could just tear this off and just walk away from this sin, this sin nature that we have, that's in the future. That's because we have truly been born of Him. And He closes this passage we've been studying in verse 10 by talking about loving our brother. And if you love your brother, if you love the brethren, that's an evidence of being born of Him. Loving your brethren. So in verse 10, what he's basically saying there is to sin is to not manifest who we really are in Christ. Let's pray.